Well, good morning. Good morning. Uh, welcome all who have gathered here to worship our great God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'd like to um, especially um, welcome those of you, a number of you are visiting for our first time. We're pleased to have you here. And if you didn't get one of those green bags, make sure you get one on the way out. It gives information about the church. If you'd like to, to get a call from me or a, a visit, be happy to do that. Um, and just put information. There, there are cards that are in those chairs in front of you. You can fill those out and um, just leave them there or just place them on a the table, and I'll be sure to, to get that and contact you. A couple of uh, announcements. Uh, first of all, um, Easter eggs. Uh, we have had an opportunity. We support a, um, a family, really, a whole family, that works with the refugees in nearby Clarkston. And they're having an outreach uh, that they're going to be doing Saturday, April the 3rd. And they're trying to get people who would fill up plastic eggs. You'd need to get the plastic eggs and fill them up with goodies. And uh, if you would do that, that'd be great. Uh, you'd bring them back next Sunday, and uh, we'll put them here in the narthex, or we'll take, take them. And so it's a great way in which we can support one of our families in their outreach uh, efforts. Now, uh, secondly, um, well, let's see what all I want to do here. You probably want to know what, what's going on with the next senior pastor. They're back home down in Florida and uh, fixing up their house with hopes. They certainly would like your prayers that they'd be able to, to sell their house you know, within this next week. That'd be very helpful. So be, be praying uh, for uh, Jeff and for Abby Birch. And then uh, the choir is about to give the, do the prelude. I want you to pay special attention to it. And it's going to be the hymn that you're going to sing at the end of the service. And you'll see the words if you want to just follow along while they are singing. Now let's prepare our hearts for worship. Oh! 
being. This is from 1 Timothy 1.17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And we come before you, the king of the ages, and we come to, to worship our great God, three persons in one, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We come in the name of God the Son, Jesus Christ. We come by the anointing of God the Holy Spirit. Pray that the worship that we offer unto you will they be that which honors you, glorifies you, which gives you delight. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing together, Immortal, Invisible. Confession of faith this morning is taken from the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil he also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. What must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Three things. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am set free from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. 
Let's turn to the Lord in prayer and pray together the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our Father, we do give you praise as the one who dwells in heaven, as the as king of the ages. You are the uh, immortal, the God only wise. And we worship you and, and we praise you and adore you as our great king. We pray that we would truly honor your name this very morning in our worship of you. And we pray that we will be found faithful in the service of your kingdom until our Lord shall return to consummate that kingdom. We pray that we will be found doing your will on earth uh, as it is done in heaven by the angels and by the saints who have gone before us. We pray, our Father, that we would do your will in, in word and in deed and in our very thoughts. And so we ask you to give today our daily bread all that is needed so that we might honor our God. We pray that you will feed us with your word this morning. We pray that you will feed us with the sacrament, that all the more we will go for strengthen in our faith, all the more trusting in you, all the more able to serve your kingdom. We pray, our Father, for your provisions, uh, for uh, the new pastor who is to come and his wife, for, for Jeff and Abby Birch. We thank you for what we trust is your calling of them uh, to come here. We pray for them as they uh, get their house ready to, to sell, that it will go through uh, well, safely, even this week. Give all that is needed for them to come here and we look to their service of your kingdom in our midst. We pray that you would forgive us, our Father, of our debts that are many, many ways that we have transgressed your laws, many ways that we have failed up to do what you have called us to do and to be. We pray that you would give us the spirit, your spirit, to be those who easily forgive the debts of others, that we may have hearts that are filled with mercy. We pray, our Father, that we not be led into temptation. You know our weaknesses. All the more we beseech you to deliver us from the evil one, deliver us from the evils of this world, protect us from harm. And we make this prayer acknowledging that to you belongs the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I invite you to uh, turn uh, either in your Bibles to Psalm 121, or you'll also find the scripture text uh, as an insert in your bulletin, Psalm 121. Well, before, the, before COVID had struck last year, uh, if you had gone into the hospital, I think many of you can attest, and you're gonna have surgery, you would find me, find me there. And uh, I would have um, come in and talked with you, and then I would say to you, I'm going to have prayer, but first I want to read some scripture. And I would uh, first ask you, do you have any scripture that you want read that's meaningful to you? 
And if you were to say to me that you'd let me choose it, most likely I would choose the passage, the psalm that we're going to look at this morning. And I think you will see why as we go through it. So our text is Psalm 121. It is the, the second psalm of 15 psalms that are known as the Songs of Ascent. You will see that in your Bibles. It would say, or oh, their Song of Ascent. And it was for probably for pilgrims going to Jerusalem for one of their, one of their feasts. They are literally ascending up to Jerusalem, which is the highest city uh, in Israel. And they would sing these songs. And so with that in mind, let's look at the first two verses of 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now these two verses, they present the theme of the psalm. What you've got here now, you have a traveler. He's traveling to Jerusalem. He's ascending up into these hills. He's looking up there and he's asking the question, where does my help come from? And then answers his own question. Well, it comes from the Lord. Now, commentators differ over what's causing this question. You know, some think, well, he's looking at the hills and they're majestic and it makes him think of the the majesty of God and just reflect uh, upon God himself, the help he gives. Others are thinking, well, maybe he's looking at these hills and he's seeing an alternative to help. You know, this is where I really get help. And and actually, there are a couple of psalms that that speak of fleeing to the hills for refuge. And and so he's, he's weighing, does my help come from these hills? Or maybe my help, or does my help come from the Lord? Well, I think what he's actually doing, what other commentators would say, they're looking at the hills and they're getting pretty nervous. You know, when we look at mountains here in America, we look at it and we're inspired by the beauty. But probably what's more going through the, this, these travelers' minds, what they see is what, you know, like the cowboys and the pioneers heading out west, and they got to go through these hills of rocks. And what do they thinking about? There's danger in those hills. There's outlaws in those hills. And indeed, you'll remember the parable that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. Well, you got a poor traveler who's actually going through these hills, and he outlaws getting. Now, there's another concern, and we're going to talk about that in, in a moment. So, again, the traveler, my understanding, that he's nervous about ascending the hill and asks that natural question, from where does my help come? And, of course, it comes from the Lord. And though those of you with me about three weeks ago when we were looking at uh, another passage, I talked about what is meant by that word Lord. When you see Lord in the Old Testament, all in capital letters, it's, this is the way the translator is translating the word, what we used to know as Jehovah. Most scholars refer to now as Yahweh. This is God's personal name that he gave to Moses. I am who I am. It's his covenant name for his people Israel. And so he's, he's saying, my God, Israel's God, will provide that needed help. And then he adds to that understanding. He's not just 
my God of, of this one nation, this is the creator of heaven and earth. All right, he then goes on. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Now there's another reason why the hills would cause concern for travelers to Jerusalem. And that's simply because sometimes it's, the path itself can be dangerous. It's, it's loose footing. So whether you're going up or you're going down, a concern is that you might step on some unsecure spot and, and fall. Okay. And particularly, particularly if you're a soldier, this is a concern. Especially if you're the one who's going up and you're facing your enemy who's, a, who's on higher ground. And so you get a psalm, for example, from David who talks about this. It's in Psalm 18. And he's speaking of God. He made my feet like the feet of a deer and set me secure on the heights. You gave a wide place for my steps under me and my feet did not slip. And so he was able to have victory over the enemy's soldiers. Now these verses also introduce the significant concept of the psalm. What the psalm is really about it is namely that the Lord keeps his people. He is your keeper. The, the New International Version translated as the Lord watches over. Okay, it means the same thing. But what I, I like about this term keep is it makes clear that the Lord's not merely watching over us, but he's protecting, he's guarding us. Maybe you saw that commercial, I don't know, a few years ago or whatever, and there's a bank robbery taking place. The robbers come in, everyone's forced to get down on the floor. Well, there's a security guard there. One of the, uh, the customers on the floor is saying, well, aren't you going to do something about it? And he says, well, no, I'm just hired to, to keep watch and let you know if there's a robbery taking place. And by the way, there's a robbery taking place. Okay. Well, that's not what the Lord's doing. He's not just kind of up there keeping watch and seeing what's taking place. As David noted in Psalm 18, I mean, he's protecting me. He's keeping my feet secure from danger. But then one might ask, well, what if the Lord overlooks the danger? What if he snoozes on the job? Well, again, these verses say that cannot happen. The Lord is not like us. He neither slumbers nor sleeps. He does not get drowsy. You, the reader of this psalm, you can count on him all the time. Now let's go on, verses 5 and 6. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. Now again, I want to emphasize here the you, you know, we're never quite sure if it's singular or plural. It is singular in the Hebrew. And so the psalmist is speaking to the individual. The individual belongs to God's covenant people, Israel. And he's saying, look, the Lord, your, your keeper, he's not like a shepherd watching over his flock, you know, and he's kind of on a hill and he's trying to watch over this large group of people. He's watching out for you individually. And he's watching out for you 
all the time and against all danger. Now the sun represents all the dangers of the daytime and the moon represents all the dangers of the night. It's just a way of saying all day long, all night long, the Lord is keeping you from danger. And then our last two verses reinforce this protection. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. So the Lord will keep you from everything that causes harm. He's watching over your whole life, wherever you go. Whenever the time might be, he's always with you. There is no place that you can be that he is not guarding you and keeping you safe. Now, I think you agree, this is a very comforting and reassuring psalm. I mean, it's right up there with Psalm 23 about conveying the good care of the, that we can have from the Lord and the confidence we can have in him. It teaches that the Lord is our good keeper. Now, you can see now why this is my go-to psalm uh, when i got to meet with you and you're about to, to be put to, to sleep. I mean, it's a very comforting thing to be thinking about as your our eyes are getting groggy. The Lord is watching over you. There's not going to be any time during that operation that he is not there. Now, it's also, by the way, a very good traveling psalm, and that's really what it was meant to, to be. So if you're about to, to go on a, on a long trip, you can, can think of this and know that the Lord is your keeper. It's a, it's a good psalm to read if you're going to make a major change in your life, um, whether you're going to stay here, but particularly if you're going to go to another part of the country. It's a good one to memorize. Keep before you. The Lord is always your keeper wherever you go. Now, there's another point I want to make here. It's not specifically said in this psalm, but it's brought up in another psalm, Psalm 127. Let me read it to you in uh, it's verse 1. Unless the Lord builds a house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches, that's the exact same Hebrew term for keep. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now here's the point. It is, it is good, it is a responsible thing to do to be watchful, to keep careful attention over whatever we have been given responsibility for. But yet what matters is that we entrust ourselves, particularly anything that is given to us, whether it's in, uh, people who have been given to us to be responsible for or some project or whatever, what matters is that we entrust them to the Lord. And what that means practically is that we do what my wife constantly will ask me whenever I tell her about a plan that I've made or something that I've, a decision. And she will say, did you pray about it? Now, the Lord, of course, as this psalmist says, he's always going to keep watch over me. But even so, he will allow me to experience some stumbling, even some failures, when I put more confidence in me being the keeper rather than him. When I trust myself more than I trust him. 
Indeed, when I, I do put more trust in myself, I find that, by the way, I neither slumber nor sleep, but for the wrong reasons. I'm kept awake worrying about my plans working out. Okay. But when I've entrusted them into the Lord as my keeper, that's what allows me to sleep in peace. Now, so far, so good. I know that I have not said anything that you do not already know, and that you have not already expected me to say. But I want us to drop our guard down for a moment here. And I want to ask the question, at least a question that came to my mind, it maybe comes to your mind. Is this psalm honest? Is it honest? Now look, I'm speaking to a congregation of individuals who by the mere fact of having lived a number of decades, you have experienced harm and from all kinds of evil. They've been physical, emotional, they've affected your livelihood. There have been times that you have had your hearts broken. There have been times in which your foot has indeed slipped, and it has slipped before those who would harm you while walking along your path. Now, some slips, probably most of them, you can account for because it was caused by your sin. You did not entrust your ways to the Lord. But then a number of these slips are unexplainable. You were looking to the Lord. You, you were following along the path of his word. You, you had prayed about it. You were looking to God in faith. And yet you were harmed. Where was the Lord your keeper? And so again, is this psalm honest? Well, when I reflected on this, two, two thoughts, two answers came to my mind. And the first one is the one that, well, you same people, okay? The same who have experienced harm that you have told me. I've been a minister for about 40 years, and this, is, this has very well been true wherever I've gone and whoever the people have been, whoever they are. I've had Christian believers, they come to me in the midst of just terrible trials, and when they're explaining what's going on and they're experiencing that, that emotional pain, okay, and it's, and it's, again, it's not due to their sin. And I'm listening to them, and I'm knowing now, you know, when they finish, they're going to expect me to give some wise words, and I'm overwhelmed. I don't, I don't know what to say. And eventually, I, I learned to ask a question. And it's an honest question. And I will say, given all that you're going through, how do you keep your faith? You know, why do you still believe? Now, like I, like I mentioned, I mean, these are people of all different ages. They've gone through all different types of great trials. Pretty much, they will give the same answer. They'll, they'll pause for a moment because they're not expecting the question. And then they'll start to share with me. And they'll say something like this. How can I leave my Lord for all that he has done for me? You know, he, he saved me from my sins. He forgave me. He's always been there for me, no, no matter what I'm going through. And, and they end up, it's like it's just the reverse, like, like I've come to them, and they're counseling me. It's okay. You can trust in him. He's going to be there. 
Now, like I said, you know, you already know this answer. Those of you particularly, I mean, you've got a few years uh, on you, but particularly in your walk with the Lord. You've experienced the loss, you've gone through trials that at the time they seem like it's going to be impossible to get through these things. But here you are. Here you are worshiping the Lord, or you're online. You can't be here physically, but you, you just feel you're compelled. I've got to worship my Lord. And how do you account for it? There's something about experiencing harm that actually leads you to find what? That no, well, that no real harm truly can afflict your soul, cannot afflict your your spirit. You, you've learned for yourself the testimony, for example, of the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, he's there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he's, he's talking about not trials of the past, he's talking about what he's going through right now. Okay. And after he goes through this whole thing, he says, though our outer self is wasting away, that's what he feels like, our inner self is being renewed day by day. It's not the absence of harm that strengthens our faith, strengthens our walk with the Lord. It's actually being afflicted by harm and then coming through it. Not unscathed, but still somehow stronger, somehow wiser, somehow more attached to your Lord than before because you've experienced him bringing you through that. It's through that kind of experience, such as, uh, such as the psalm, that, that it now then speaks to your heart. And it becomes not some kind of like sentimental thoughts, but it has real meaning to you. So when you read this psalm, no matter what you've gone through, it just rings true to you. Truly you know that the Lord does keep your life. Now the second thought, is this, and this comes from Jesus himself, and that is this, what is the real harm that we ought to fear, and yet at the same time, we need not fear it? Now, Jesus spoke of this. It's from Luke 12. I'm going to read verses 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more they can do, but I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And so let's, let's consider this for a moment. You have one person who lives to a ripe old age, pretty much experienced good health, all their life, financially was secure, had a good job, had a loving family. But still, that person dies without ever having turned to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have another person who dies all alone. After a long period of, of physical troubles, of, of personal sorrows, and yet nevertheless, kept her faith in her Lord Jesus ever since she had experienced salvation. Now, each faces eternity who experiences the greater harm. You know, you have the first 
who did not fear God, who did not believe the warning of the gospel that we're sinners, that we need salvation, uh, that did not believe they needed to turn from sin, and indeed, you know, looks back over the life and says, look, I, you know, did all that was necessary to have good health, to keep uh, financially sound, I was a loving person, so I experienced human love, and and maybe even embraces this psalm, says, this is testimony, you know, the good life that I lived, you know, God was my keeper because of all how good I was. But this life ends. And now the life that goes on for eternity begins. Now what? And then you have the second person who, who trusted in God as her keeper. But she experienced trials all through her life. But now the life of blessedness for eternity begins. What now does she have, can testify to? Now, what I want to be careful here is I don't want to minimize the pain that anyone may be feeling now. Okay? Indeed, just the opposite. Do not hide the pain. Do not pretend that it does not exist. But I do want you to know this, that yes, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you all your life through whatever you face in this life until you reach the eternal life of blessedness that is awaiting you. You know, there's another psalm that I like to read. If I didn't go to 121, I'd go to Psalm 139. And sometimes I'll add it on. Particularly, I'll add on two verses. They're verses 17 and 18. Let me read them to you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the fan. And here's the line. I awake, and I am still with you. I love that line. And I know that I can read that line with confidence that no matter what happens, whether you awake with a beating heart, whether you awake when the heart has stopped, your Lord Jesus will be there, will be with you. Speaking of our Lord Jesus, let's turn to him for a moment. You know, he, of course, would have known this psalm, certainly would have known it by heart, certainly would have applied it to himself. And it's a psalm that he, too, when he is going on his pilgrimage, particularly that last pilgrimage, he's going up there for the Passover feast up to Jerusalem, and he's looking at those hills. What do you think's going through his mind? He would have asked, from where does my help come? He knows what's going to be taking place in a few days. You know, on the cross, in just a few days, he would be quoting another psalm. And it's the first verse. It's from Psalm 22. This is a psalm, by the way, that we're going to be looking at next Sunday. It begins this way. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, it doesn't seem to fit well with Psalm 121, does it? You know, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. Or does it? Now, like I said, we're going we're gonna to look actually just the first half of Psalm 22 next Sunday, Palm Sunday. On Easter Sunday, we're going to look at the second half. 
And in that second half makes this claim that God has not hidden his face from him, but is heard when he cried to him. Now, I think Jesus all along, he knew that his help would come from the Lord, but it would be the kind of help that would enable him to carry out his mission. And that mission was to save us from the greatest evil, the greatest harm that could fall upon us, which is to bear the wrath of the Lord for our sins forevermore. Now, it's because he willingly, it's because he successfully bore the wrath of the Lord on the cross that we might know the Lord is our keeper. We might know the Lord is our keeper from this time forth and forevermore because truly our help does come from the Lord. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And we give you praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ who is our help, who is our keeper, who assures that we will never, ever be separated from the love of God our Father. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand now and sing together the first two verses of Psalm 121. be seated. Now, if you, by chance, did not get one of these cups, 
Uh, Mark starts standing there at the door, and if you'll just look over to him or raise your hand, he'll bring it to you if you need to receive this. Let me read the institution of the Lord's Supper as it comes to us from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You know, our Lord has given us this this sacrament, this Lord's Supper, to remind us that he remains our keeper. Now, this is a time in which we are to remember what he did for us upon the cross. It's also a time to remember that he remains with us, that he is here spiritually. There is never a time that he is not with us. He has promised us that. This is a, a physical way, a tangible way to remind us of that. That as we partake of the bread, as we partake of the cup, and we, we, we taste these things, we put them into our bodies to remind her that he's here. In those times in which we have stumbled, in which our foot has slipped, and because of our failure to look to him, he's still there. And he wants you to come to his table and be lifted up by his strong arm. Now this is for those who do confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You have turned from your sins. You have turned to him as your Savior. And this is now you're seeking to be strengthened by him. But if you have yet to know him that way, please know that it is our ardent desire that someday you will. Someday you'll be able to participate in this meal with us for we can all attest. It truly is a great keeper. Let's pray. We thank you, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ, that as we partake spiritually here of his body, of his blood, we look to you to to feed us, to strengthen our faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What you're going to be doing with these cups is taking that small side of it and and removing the the lid. Be ready for the, the bread. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night in which he was betrayed, took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body given for you. Turn that little cup over and being removing that lid. In the same manner, our Savior also took the cup. After having given thanks, he gave it to his disciples, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the forgiveness of sins. Drink all ye of it. 
We give you praise, our God, for our Lord Jesus Christ. We praise you for his incarnation by which he took upon himself our very flesh, and in that flesh made atonement for our sins upon the cross. We thank you that though he died and was buried, yet he rose again in that same flesh. And in his resurrection, we look to our own to come. We give you praise that he has ascended on high in that flesh, where he is now at your right hand as our high priest, ever interceding for us. And we look with faith that our Lord Jesus shall return again in that flesh in all of his glory. We say, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's stand now and sing the last verse of Psalm 121. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. <laughs>